Hello, folks. Welcome back to What's True for Everybody. Coming at you from Fort Collins, Colorado, home of Marla Hooch. And if you've seen A League of Their Own, you know that's funny. Uh, and then there's Marla Hooch. What a hitter. <laughs> Good movie. Uh, this is Experience 8. And before we get into Experience 8, I told you a couple of times ago that I was going to start a gratitude calendar. And this is an idea that my spiritual director had given me. And this was one of my New Year's resolutions. We talked about New Year's resolutions. And so I got a calendar, uh, one of those with the days of the month. And there's boxes for each day, like an inch by an inch or two inches by two inches, whatever it is, uh, the kind you would put on your fridge. And just every night I take like, I don't know, three to five minutes and just think through my day and write down two or three or four things that I was grateful for that day and just think through those events. So uh, this has been really good for me. So if this is interesting to you, I try it. See what happens. My spiritual director, when he suggested I do this, said, uh, there is a link between gratefulness and a, having a sense of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and it's true. It's It's been wonderful. So like last, let's see here. I have this in front of me. Uh, last Tuesday, the two things I wrote down were, uh, first, there was a family that grew up like six houses from us, and they had a, there was a sister who was a year younger than us, there was a brother who was our age, there was another brother who was a year older than us, and we hung out with the brothers at least a lot. Haven't talked to them really since college probably, um, I don't know, almost 20 years, and I found out last Tuesday that the brother who's a year older than us lives in Fort Collins, and I had no idea, and so... Uh, we were texting back and forth and got a hold of them, and we're going to hang out in a couple weeks. So I wrote that down, uh, and then that night, my wife, Corey, made butter chicken for dinner. We love Indian food, and so she made this butter chicken that um, we like when we go to Indian places, and it was fantastic, so I wrote that down. Anyway, gratitude calendar. Good stuff. Uh, back to experience eight. I am calling this Culture is Boss, my tribute to Herb Kelleher. Experience eight, culture is boss, my tribute to Herb Kelleher. Do you know who Herb Kelleher was? Herb Kelleher was the chain Philip Morris cigarette smoking, regular wild turkey whiskey drinking, co-founder and leader of Southwest Airlines. And Herb Kelleher passed away about three weeks ago, uh, January 3rd. He was 87. And after I saw the news of his death, I thought about all the things that I've read about him and heard about him over the years, and I thought about the greatest thing that I learned from him, uh, which I imagine is the greatest thing that lots of people have learned from hearing and reading about Herb Kelleher. So maybe you already know where this is going, and if you don't, uh, refer back to the title of this episode or this experience, as I like to call them, uh, because it gives it away. And if you've never read anything about Herb Kelleher, uh, I encourage you to just Google him and read a couple articles that come up. Um, and I bet his personality and the way he went about his airline business will, it'll intrigue you, it'll inspire you as you interact with the people around you. At least that's what he has done for me. But here's a sampling of, of who he was. Uh, Southwest Airlines began because a San Antonio businessman named Rollin King came up with an idea for an airline that would fly short flights between Dallas and Houston and San Antonio. And really, he didn't even come up with this idea for these short flights. There was a company 
in California called Pacific Southwest that was already doing this. And so Rollin brought this idea up to a Texas lawyer named Herb Kelleher, who, when he first heard it, told Rollin the idea was dumb. (laughs) But it only took an evening of Rollin's vision casting and he and Herb writing and drawing pictures on a cocktail napkin to get Herb to commit to think about joining this dream that Rollin had. Uh, And by the way, the company that is now worth something like $30 billion in market value and is one of the best companies consistently in the world to work for began on a cocktail napkin. It began on something ordinary and not fancy, on something accessible and not extravagant. And that's actually fitting to who Southwest turned out to be. So four years after this cocktail napkin night, Southwest took its first flight. And I believe for the first two years, the airline lost money. But after that, they took off. Pun intended. (laughs) Which is interesting because the idea of these low-cost short flights wasn't original. Pacific Southwest was already doing this. And in fact, their name wasn't even original. They stole the name Southwest from part of Pacific Southwest name. Uh, Again, which was doing this idea in California. But there was one thing that Southwest offered that was different from everyone else. And that was the culture that Herb Kelleher brought to the company. And a couple of things here about the culture of Southwest. First, Herb's big belief was that the company's job was to look after its employees first. Because, he said, happy employees will result in happy customers. And happy customers will result in happy shareholders and board members in that order. And so a journalist once asked him, he said, who comes, the journalist asked, who comes first, the shareholders or the employees? And this was Herb's response. He said, well, that's easy. Employees come first, and if employees are treated right, they treat the outside world right. The outside world uses the company's product again, and that makes shareholders happy. That really is the way it works, and it's not a conundrum at all. End quote. That was his belief. And Herb took a lot of criticism for this approach from people who thought, no, it's about making money, making money, making money. But you know what? For years, Southwest didn't have a complaints department because they didn't need one, because no one was complaining. The culture was such that the employees felt appreciated, they felt invested in, they felt free, and wouldn't you know it, that resulted in happy customers. And when you look at the values Herb Kelleher brought to Southwest, which are still the values that they have, you can go to their website, you see there are things like having a spirit of hard work, having a servant's heart, having a fun-loving attitude, being safe and reliable, being friendly, and keeping costs low. And I love this because the only time money is mentioned in the values of Southwest Airlines, it's not for the company to make money. It's for the customer to save money. See, Herb was brilliant, and he knew that that would ultimately result in the company making money if customers were saving money. And a second thing about their culture, Uh, Herb wanted Southwest Airlines to be for the everyday ordinary person. That was his goal. And this was the feeling from the bottom of the organization all the way to the top of the organization. 
Here's my favorite Herb Kelleher story. The first president of Southwest after Herb was a guy named Howard Putnam. And Howard Putnam tells the short, simple story about meeting Herb Kelleher and interviewing for the job to be president of the company. Uh, and he tells it like this. And I get this story from uh, Simon Sinek's book called Start With Why. So Howard Putnam says during the interview, he leans back in his chair and he looks under the desk and notice, notices that Herb has slipped off his shoes under the desk, which A, is a pretty good sign of being laid back and free. Uh, but what really caught Putnam's attention was that he noticed there was a hole in one of Herb's socks. And Howard Putnam says that's when he knew uh, that this company was a fit for him. That's when he knew that the current president, Herb Kelleher, of Southwest was just like everyone else. He had holes in his socks too. And that's when Howard Putnam knew this job was for him. So what did Herb Kelleher create at Southwest that was obvious to everyone who came into contact with the company? He created a culture. He created a way of being. He created something that employees and customers could rally around and be proud of. And this is the greatest thing that, that I, and I'm sure many others, maybe some of you, have learned from hearing about reading, listening to Herb Kelleher, is the importance of culture. So what is culture? One definition of culture I've come across is this. It's a group of people who come together around a common set of values and beliefs. A culture is a group of people who come together around a common set of values and beliefs. Your values are what you think to be most important. They're your principles. They're your standards of behavior. Your beliefs are, are what you take to be true. They're what you put your trust and confidence in. And as one writer says, when we share values and beliefs with others, we form trust. When we share values and beliefs with others, we form trust. And this is important to understand. Culture will always lead to trust or mistrust. It will always lead to either trust or mistrust. And when you come together with others around specific values and specific beliefs to create a culture, and that culture creates trust, like how it's happened at Southwest, you get really good results. And if you've ever taken a Southwest flight, whether you like the experience or not, you weren't confused about which airline you were flying. If you never looked at your ticket, if you never saw the sign of the airline outside the airport where your friend dropped you off, if you never looked at the uniforms of the people who were helping you check your bags at the counter or who scanned your ticket at the gate, you knew you were flying Southwest. And you knew because of the culture. I love the Southwest culture. This is why I'm so excited about this. I love the freedom of it all, which was one of the things that Herb Kelleher wanted to provide, freedom for the employees and the customers. I love that it's an airline for the everyday ordinary person because I am the everyday ordinary person. I love the laid back feeling I get when I'm interacting with the Southwest employee. I love the fun they seem to be having. I love the jokes during the announcements. I love that they get to wear shorts because one of my life mottos is why wear pants when you can wear shorts. For real, that's one of my life mottos. I say it all the time. Why wear pants when you can wear shorts? Uh, I love the bright colors of the planes and the uniforms. The purple, or is it blue? 
every time we fly a Southwest, take a Southwest flight, my kids and I argue whether the color is purple or blue. Uh, I love the, the red, the orange, the yellow. These colors, they make me happy. They put me in a good mood. Uh, at this stage of life, I love the family boarding. If you've experienced family boarding, you know it's between the A and B boarding. We'll touch on boarding here in a second. Uh, I love the want to get away prices. I love the legroom. It's, it's not first class legroom on other airlines, but it beats the heck out of coach legroom on other airlines. A couple months ago, Corey and I took a flight and it was probably the first non-Southwest flight I've taken in a year and a half or two years. And uh, I was not excited about my cramped legs for the three hours just so this particular airline could fit another row or two or three on the plane. Uh, Southwest is my kind of culture. But as cultures usually go, the Southwest culture is a great fit for some people, but it's not a great fit for other people. There's a pretty famous story of a woman who frequently flew Southwest, and she was disappointed with her experience every single time. She didn't like that they didn't have assigned seats. She didn't like that they didn't have first class. She didn't like that they didn't give her a meal she didn't like the ABC boarding. And I hope you know what the ABC boarding is like. Tell me, tell me you've been at your computer or on your phone 24 hours and one minute before your flight, just waiting for the minute to change. Maybe you're even looking at the second hand on your phone, uh, just waiting so you can hit the check-in button uh, and see where your boarding place is, only to realize you have to hit another check-in button to actually check in. <laughs> This lady didn't like that feeling. I love this feeling. It's like, it's like you're competing against everyone else on the flight, except for those, of course, who pay extra to get the A1 through 30 or whatever it is, and those like me who get family boarding or others who get military boarding. Anyway, she didn't like this. She didn't like the casual uniforms of the flight attendants or the casual atmosphere of how they spoke, how they treated her. So after every flight she took with Southwest... She wrote a letter to Southwest to complain. And at one point, the customer relations people uh, started calling her the pen pal because she wrote so frequently. Uh, maybe, actually, maybe she's the reason they started the complaints department. I don't know. But her last letter, once again, gave all these complaints. And the Southwest customer relations people, they didn't know how to respond anymore. And so this last letter, it made its way to Herb's desk. And the employees put this on Herb's desk with a note that said, this one's yours. <laughs> and in 60 seconds, Herb Kelleher wrote back and his note said, dear Mrs. Crabapple, we will miss you. Love, Herb. <laughs> I love it. I love it. See, here's what Herb believed. Herb believed that culture is boss. Culture is boss. He was once asked what life at Southwest would be like after he left. And he said, we have a very strong culture and it has a life of its own that can surmount a great deal. In other words, what he was saying is the culture here is infinitely bigger than any one person. I mean, whether that one person is the boss or whether that one person is an unhappy crabapple customer, culture is boss. He also once said, one must realize that we have become what we are today because of our culture. 
It is a culture that recognizes the value of the individual, which encourages an entrepreneurial spirit, which helps people find the career that makes them happy, and which encourages people to have fun at work. These are the very reasons for our success. Culture is boss. He also once said, you don't hire for skills, you hire for attitude. You can always teach skills. Culture is boss. Which brings us to the cultures we are a part of. I recently read this. We do better in cultures in which we are good fits. We do better in places that reflect our own values and beliefs. We do better in cultures in which we are good fits. We do better in places that reflect our own values and beliefs. And think about the different cultures you're a part of. The family you're a part of. The place where you work or the people you work for. The friends you hang out with. The town or city where you live. The sports or the volunteer team you're on. The church or the gym you go to. And there's plenty of other examples as well, but let's stick with these for now. Think about where your values and your beliefs line up and where they don't with each of these cultures. And it gets pretty interesting pretty quickly. Uh, As far as the family you're a part of, what are the values and the beliefs of the family? Who decided them? Who takes the dinner dishes from the table to the sink or to the dishwasher? Does one person do it all? Does everyone do their own? Is there a day or part of a day that's set aside for family play or family rest or family hangout time? Are there any sorts of spiritual practices that are encouraged or expected? Is it it okay to not be honest with one another sometimes? Is there an expected time when your teenage child will be home at night? And what happens when a value or belief is broken by a family member? Or what tends to happen when these values and beliefs are continually lived out by everyone in the family? What effect does that have? As far as where you work, do the values of the organization line up with your personal values? Why does the company ultimately exist? What is your day like? Is the ultimate goal of the company or organization to make money? Is it to serve the people coming to them for a service? Is it to add something that this world desperately needs? Is it fast-paced? Is it slow-paced? Is it highly controlled? Is it freedom-giving? Do you sit in an office all day, or do you move around, or do you work from home? And how do all of these things fit you or not fit you? Do you leave work energized, or are you drained before you even walk in the door at 8.30 a.m.? As a wise friend once told me, you want to work out of your surplus and not out of your reserves. And whether or not you're working out of your surplus or out of your reserves has something to do, maybe a lot to do, with the culture that you're in. As far as your friend group, what types of things do your friends tend to do? Are they things you like to do? Is there an expectation that you will protect one another? Or is is there lots of backstabbing and one-upping and lying going on? Do these friends believe similar things as you about how to live appropriately? Are there are their values similar to yours about things that really matter? As far as the geographical place you live, if you're most comfortable in the country with, with lots of acreage and not having a neighbor within a half a mile of you, then living in New York City might not be your spot. I hear Montana is nice this time of year, by the way. 
if you love having all four seasons and you aren't a beach or an extreme heat person, you may want to live somewhere like the Midwest and not Miami. If ethnic diversity is the most important thing to you and you live in Houston, you're in a great spot. Don't, don't move to Vermont. <laughs> uh, go visit Vermont, though, because it's beautiful. But I recently saw a stat that it's like the least racially diverse state in the country. Uh, I haven't verified that, but that's just a stat I saw. As far as the team you're on, have you ever been on a team and there was a stated and expected culture for that team, whatever the team was, or there was one goal that everyone was chasing, and then one person on the team ran away from that culture. They, they came up with a different goal. What did it do? It, it either tore the team apart or, or it basically disqualified that one person from being a part of the team any longer. This is why no one likes the person who goes rogue on the school group project. And this is why there are some really talented professional athletes right now uh, who haven't gotten picked up by another team because they're disruptive. And it's, if, if you're making a decision on skill, you're picking up that person in a second. But if you're making that decision based on culture, you're not touching them. As far as the church or the gym that you go to, I bet you chose your church because of how its culture lined up with your personal values and beliefs. From the size of the church, to the worship style of the church, to what the church emphasizes, to what the church spends its money on, to what is expected of the attenders of the church, to whether or not you respect how the leaders of the church act and carry themselves. I mean, much of that is a cultural decision. And your gym or the exercise place that you go, you go to. I bet you decided that based on things like monthly fees and the equipment that is available and the hours that they're open and the classes that they offer and how many mirrors there are in the place and how many people tend to flex in front of those <laughs> mirrors and whether or not you like to see that. Uh, when we first moved to Colorado, I checked out 24-hour fitness for a while and then uh, I, I ended up switching to a much smaller, um, much more low-key, not as much equipment gym that's a few minutes closer. And then my first time there, I was just checking it out and there was a guy working out next to me and I just asked him what he thought of the gym, what he liked about it, didn't like about it. And <laughs> I bring up this example because he actually said to me, you know, I used to go to this other gym, um, but there were too many people flexing in front of the mirrors. And so I couldn't take that. So I came here. You don't see that here. So whether or not you like that, uh, that's a cultural decision. Now, remember what a culture will always lead to. It will always lead to trust or mistrust. For example, have you ever been a part of a family or a company or a friend group or a team or a church where there wasn't a defined culture or there was an unhealthy culture or it was clear that the culture needed to change, but for whatever reason it didn't or different people had different ideas of what the culture was or should be? I guarantee you that one of the first things, if not the first thing, to go among the members of that group was trust. Because when we share values and beliefs, we form trust. And when we don't share values and beliefs, trust goes bye-bye in a hurry. So when the spouse lied or the child stole or the teammate became selfish or the church deceived or when you drove to the gym because they said they'd be open on New Year's Day but you got there and the doors were locked, there was somehow a cultural mishap there, and as a result, 
you didn't trust quite as much, did you? In 2012, Corey and I went with some friends to see the band Linkin Park in Houston. We were living in Houston. Uh, now, what you need to understand is lots of people in Houston cannot stand Dallas. And lots of people in Dallas cannot stand Houston. And I'm not totally sure why this is. It It reminds me actually of how lots of Chicago Cubs fans think they need to hate the Chicago White Sox and lots of White Sox fans think they need to hate the Cubs. Uh, but I was, I was once on a flight from Dallas to Houston and one of the flight attendants lived in Dallas. She was based in Dallas. And she told me that being in Houston was like being inside a dog's mouth. <laughs> Okay, I think she was referring to the humidity, but she did not appreciate Houston. So anyway, one of the opening bands at this concert was Incubus. And after one of the songs, lead singer Brandon Boyd yells out, Thank you, Dallas! (laughs) What do you think happened? Brandon Boyd got booed big time. (laughs) Why? Because the culture is that Dallas sucks. (laughs) And we don't care how much we like you or how good of a singer we think you are. If you don't share this cultural value and belief that Dallas sucks, even if it's an accident and you accidentally say the wrong thing, then we'll boo the heck out of you. Uh, Why? Because culture is boss. Now, let's flip this around. Have you ever been a part of a family or company or friend group or team or church where there was a defined culture and the culture was healthy and everyone was on the same page about the culture and what it was and what it should be. I guarantee you in this instance, one of the strengths among the members of that group was trust. Because when we share values and beliefs, we form trust. So when the husband protects his wife or the child admits to a mistake without being forced to, or the teammate defends the other teammate who missed the game-winning shot, or the church was extremely open about its finances or the gym repairs the treadmill when they say and promise they're going to repair it. In that instance, there was somehow a cultural alignment and as a result, your trust increased, didn't it? Back uh, once again, 2012, Mike Krzyzewski, Coach K as he's known, was the head coach of the USA men's basketball team. And after they won the gold medal, Coach K was asked how they were so successful, what contributed to it. Uh, And he went on to talk about how they were able to be at their best because they had 14 standards. He said, we didn't didn't have rules, but we had standards. And a standard was the way you were expected to live and the way you expected other teammates to live and how the team was going to live together. And some of the standards for the team were things like uh, making eye contact when you talk to one another, tell each other the truth, no excuses, be on time. And Coach K said, if we were going to be at our best and be the best team we could be, we needed these standards that were all based on respecting and trusting one another. And what those standards did was it created the culture. And everyone on the team agreed to them, and it worked. See, I bet the healthiest marriages you've seen, the healthiest families on your street or in your complex, the healthiest organizations you've been a part of, the healthiest churches you visited, what all have some sort of agreed upon culture that is honored and kept. Because as we now know, culture is boss. And here's the deal. 
there are places where we live and where we work and where we hang out where we naturally thrive because our values and beliefs align with the values and beliefs of that particular culture and there ends up being loads of trust. There are other places that will absolutely suck the life out of us because our values and beliefs are really far off from the values and beliefs of that particular culture and trust fades. And if we want to not be miserable or go crazy, we will either find ways to change the culture or we won't stay there very long. Uh, let's, let's switch gears here slightly for a second. In experience seven, I brought up an instance in the Gospels when Jesus' disciples ask Jesus if he wants them to call fire down from heaven to wipe out the Samaritans. And remember, the Samaritans were people that the Jews hated. So to the disciples, this makes perfect sense. Let's just get rid of them. Set them on fire. Uh, But the gospel writer Luke tells us that Jesus rebukes the disciples. And to rebuke, it, it means to disapprove. It means to criticize. And why does Jesus disapprove of and criticize the disciples' idea? Because calling fire down from heaven and wiping people out isn't a part of the culture that Jesus brought with him. That isn't part of the culture of the kingdom of God. Jesus has other values and beliefs. And there's a New Testament book called Galatians, and the writer Paul, he lists some of these values and beliefs that Jesus brings with him. Things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. See, a lot of times cultures aren't good or bad. They're just different from one another. And we fit or don't fit based on things like our personality or our hobbies or our gifts and talents or our upbringing or what we're used to. This is often the case for things like what airline or company or church or gym or living location we choose. But the culture of the kingdom of God, the culture that Jesus brought with them is different in this way. And this is what I believe to be true. Fitting more and more into the culture of the kingdom of God would benefit everybody, no matter what our personality or what our upbringing is. I mean, less calling fire down from heaven and more love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control is better for us all. And I am totally convinced of that. I think the culture of the kingdom of God, the culture Jesus brought, is something that everyone can trust. Now, let's end with this. Maybe um, an exercise would be helpful for us to do. Take the most important cultures you are a part of, your marriage or your family or your friends, your company that you lead or whatever you choose. Uh, But it should be a culture where you have at least a little say in what the values and beliefs are. You have at least a little say in in what the culture is. And here's the question. What are the top five things you want to be true of that culture? What are the top five values and beliefs that would allow that particular culture to thrive, to move towards more and more trust? If you want to do top three, do top three. If you want to do top 10, do top 10. I don't care what number you choose. But then share your desired top values and beliefs with others in that culture and start a discussion, start a dialogue about them. Or maybe better yet, you get the input of other people in that particular group 
to come up, help you come up with this list. This is the brilliant thing that Coach K did with the USA men's basketball team, was he had all 12 players come together and help create their 14 standards. So they had total buy-in because they were invested, they were heard. And uh, I bet this will ultimately lead to more trust among the group, whatever this group is. And another way to ask the question is this, how can this culture become more and more like the culture of the kingdom of God? How can it become more and more like the culture Jesus brought with them as we read it in the gospels? What do we need to value? What do we need to do? What do we need to teach others in this culture? Whether they're our kids or our employees or our teammates or our congregation. Remember, a culture is a group of people who come together around a common set of values and beliefs. And when this is done well, it will lead to trust, no matter what the culture is. Herb Kelleher did it with an airline. Jesus has done it with the kingdom of God. And we can do it with the people that we are around and that we care about most. Thank you for listening to What's True for Everybody. See you next time.